Nice to be with you guys this evening from Langley. Congratulations to Ferd. You guys must be the youngest grandparents ever. Um, so this evening we're going to spend our time attending to Psalm 119. But first, a little history lesson. Some facts. For roughly 400 years prior to Christ's coming, God did not speak to his people Israel. He was silent for some 400-ish years. And then Jesus came in real time and space. And God revealed to the whole world his way of salvation through faith in Christ. And God spoke through Jesus and through the apostles by the power of his Holy Spirit. And the people of God were given this incredible gift of the New Testament. And they meditated on those writings. But by 600 AD, the church decided that Latin the language of scholars and priests would be the only language in which Scripture would be communicated. And from then till the 14th century, Scripture was not available to people in their common vernacular. The truths of Scripture were mediated through preaching, the preaching of men. In 1384, John Wycliffe completed a handwritten English translation of the Bible, and he died that same year of a stroke. In 1415, 30 years later, he was retroactively condemned as a heretic for his teachings on the authority of Scripture and the need for them to be communicated to the people in their vernacular. In 1521, Martin Luther was put on trial at the Diet of Worms by Pope Leo X, in large part for challenging the Pope's authority by teaching that the Bible was the only source of divinely revealed knowledge. By the grace of God, he was not condemned for standing for the truths of Scripture. By 1534, Luther had translated the scriptures into German. By the end of the 16th century, because of the Protestant Reformation and the advent of the printing press, printed versions of the Bible were being made available in German, English, and many other languages. Think of the implications of this. For much, most, in fact, of human history, most people have not had direct access to the living and active Word of God. Most people throughout human history have not had the capability of interacting directly and personally with God's revealed Word about who He is, what He has done, what He is doing now by the power of the Holy Spirit, and what He promises will come. Most have not had the privilege to be able to read for themselves what God would have man believe concerning himself or what duty God requires of him. But we live in a different world now, don't we? Some more facts. 
These are American statistics recently taken. We Canadians can imagine how we may be similar or different. 87% of American households own at least one Bible. And 80% of Americans consider the Bible a sacred and holy text. But only 8% of Americans hold to a biblical worldview. And this is the staggering statistic. 60% of regular churchgoers admit to reading the Bible only occasionally each year, if at all. 60%. This evening we are going to turn our attention to Psalm 119. But first, I want to highlight a couple of crucial truths that we need to see in our Second Timothy text. First truth, we live in the middle of a spiritual battle. There's a war going on for the hearts of men. We see this in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. Those who seek to live a godly life will face persecution. Second truth, God has given us his word to equip us for life. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Verses 16 and 17. But there's a third truth that we don't want to miss. We will be tempted to turn from God's truth to what we want to hear. We see that in our reading through, verse, in, through chapter 4. Many will turn to what they want to hear. And so we do well to consider the gift that God's Word is here this evening. We read a portion of Psalm 119. There is a lot more to that book, or to that, uh, to that psalm. This evening we're going to look at verses 9 to 12. I'll read the verses again, and I'm going to encourage you to give this word your full attention. Powerful words, these are, words of the living God. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 119 is an interesting song. It is the psalm. It's the, it's the longest. 106 verses, 176 verses, the longest in all of Scripture. And in every verse, God's word is mentioned with reverence and respect and gratitude. The psalmist uses eight different Hebrew words to speak of God's word so they can change it up a little bit. But let's ask the simple question, what is Psalm 119 about? Yes, it is about treasuring God's word. That is abundantly apparent. But why does the psalmist treasure God's word? 
Why is it a treasure to him? We have some clues. Throughout the rest of the psalm, we see the psalmist confessing that he lives in a broken world, what we see in 2 Timothy. He acknowledges that he's a sojourner on the earth. He acknowledges that he is faced with scorn and contempt from others, that others, that princes plot against him. In verse 25 and 28, he, he says, My soul clings to the dust. My soul melts away for sorrow. He treasures God's word. There's this context, this background of need, of threat. And what's more, he acknowledges also the frailty within. Incline my heart not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. These are real temptations for him. The context of this psalm is his existing in a broken world with evil and a brokenness and an evil within. He is keenly aware of the battle that he faces, not naive to the hostilities of the world around him, not naive to his own temptations, weakness, And so in verse 9, he asks rhetorically, because he knows the answer, how, how, amidst the evil, within, abounding around him, how can anyone, speaking to himself, stay pure? How the pressures to turn away from God are so great, ceaseless, inescapable, they're around unavoidable. How, rhetorical question, can a young man keep his way pure? There is but one answer for the psalmist. Simple, clear, predictable, strong. By guarding it according to the word of God. He knows that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. However, Blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. And the psalmist strings this thought into verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you, he says. That's an interesting claim, isn't it? We Calvinists have to wrestle with that a little bit. With my whole heart I seek you. The psalmist knows his frame, and yet he speaks of no division within his heart and will. How can he say that? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments, he says. It's interesting. The psalmist here isn't saying that he's perfect or he's somehow self-righteous or that he's just never tempted (laughs) away. But he is saying, I have a singularity of focus. I am committed to being committed to you, Lord. Help me do what I cannot do myself. I am committed to being committed. His is a single-mindedness. His is a commitment to God, 
flavored by faith, flavored by humility, flavored by dependency. Again, why? Because the psalmist knows he faces a hostile world, brokenness within, and has come to believe in and bank upon God. God's willingness and ability to guide him, care for him, save him. We can imagine this psalmist has been through some things. He has come to treasure God's word because he has realized that God's word is the means of grace he needs to walk rightly with God. How? How can one not only survive, but flourish, serve God, walk rightly with God? How? Through God, through his word, through dependency, humility, treasuring what God declares to be true and right and good and living by faith in that care. Which brings us to verses 11 and 12. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Here again, we see the psalmist's priorities, what he treasures. He wants to please God, and so he bends his knee before the Lord and his word. We see the psalmist taking a step of faith that we don't want to overlook. He treasures God. He treasures God's word. Because God is his treasure, he fights to hold on to what is most dear to him. I have stored up your word in my heart. Blessed are you. It's simple. It's clear. But it's not, is it? Quite a few years ago, in my early 20s, I had a very memorable experience with the Lord. I was walking and praying. I don't remember particularly where I was, but I used to walk and pray a lot. I remember I was doing that. I remember being discouraged. I was feeling a little lost. I feared God, and I was beginning to grasp the glories of what Christ had done for me. But I was also very humbled by how stubborn and dense and unwise I was. And so I was praying, and I distinctly remember the conversation being something like this. God, would you just speak to me? Like audibly. I remember praying, God, I, I want to serve you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And I am thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful for what you've done with, through Jesus. I'm so thankful that I can't mess it up. I'm so thankful that you gave it despite my idiocy. You gave your grace. But God, I'm a little lost. And it'd be really nice to just have kind of like an audible hug to know that you're there. If you just speak, open up the heavens. I know you can do it. Talk to me. I'm dense. I'm stubborn. I'm foolish. I kind of need that glory moment like Moses and Isaiah and Ezekiel and John had where you just wrecked their world in a good way. Would you just break me and speak? I'll never doubt again. I'll get it, I think. I hope. 
I don't really understand just how good and glorious you are, and I'd really like to. Help me. And something interesting happened. It had to be the Spirit of God. I don't really know how else to explain it. I felt this very real thought come into my mind and heart. I said, Jeremy, I have spoken very clearly, and I am speaking still now very clearly, but you aren't listening. My word is alive and active. Listen, and you'll hear me. Brothers and sisters, let's do some self-examination, humbly, courageously. Have you been listening to God? Have you been listening to God? He's speaking. His word is alive and active. And remember, this is a grace place. There's no shame here. Here, we've all been leveled by Jesus. We all sin and fall short. Jesus has set us free from the bondage of shame. He wants to make us new. That's what he's doing. That's what the Spirit is alive doing. Have you been listening? Simple, honest question. Do you spend time in God's Word daily? Do you read the whole counsel of God? Do you meditate on His Word? Do you obey His commandments or rebel against them? Brothers, sisters, friends, visitors, we live in a war zone. A spiritual battle is going on for the hearts of men. God has spoken and is speaking in His Word. It is alive and active. We are reminded of this in Hebrews 4. And we will be tempted to tune him out. How can we keep our way pure? By guarding it according to his word. I like to ask questions. I'm always curious. But how? How can we guard our way according to his word? We know that's the right thing to do, but what does that involve? Well, the first and most glaringly obvious thing that we can do, we see, of course, in Psalm 119, to guard our heart in accordance with God's Word, is to learn it, and to know it, and to read it. It's a no-brainer. If we want to guard our lives with God's Word, we must read it, learn it, encounter it daily, faithfully, as often as possible, in our waking, throughout our day, as we lie down to rest. We must hear it, read it, think on it, meditate upon it, memorize it, dwell on it, wrestle with it, store it up in our heart. I 
I used to think that memorizing scripture was kind of corny and for super spiritual people. I also used to struggle sleeping. I also used to struggle with sexual purity. And then I started storing up God's word in my heart and meditating on it as I went to bed when I was tempted. Powerful words, Scripture is. When I would be tempted to impurity, how can a man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you, Lord. Let me not wander from your commands. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. Stand firm, Jeremy, and do not submit again to a yoke of bondage. Or when I'd be tempted to go into self-loathing because I didn't do something perfect and I have to do something perfect or else I can't feel good about myself. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The powerful words these were for me. I can't tell you how many nights I spent an hour, an hour and a half going to bed cycling through my memory verses. They saved my bacon time and time again. If you are struggling with sexual purity, self-loathing, anxiety, fear, any of these struggles, God's Word is alive and active and can breathe life into you. How can we guard our hearts with God's Word if we don't know it? How can we walk humbly with God if we don't know Him and who He's revealed Himself to be? If we ignore God's revealed guide map to how we can live and live abundantly, why should we expect anything else except to be lost and confused and discouraged? Which leads us to another thing that we really need to wrestle with. A second thing that we ought to consider in guarding our hearts according to God's Word. This one is less obvious, less intuitive. In verse 9, we have this interesting word, guard. Guard our hearts, or guard our way, according to the Word. The Hebrew word here is actually a, a fence word, a concrete barrier word. It's about fencing something in. If we were to really get honest with ourselves, there's a reason we don't spend time in God's Word. We don't guard our time in God's Word because we are tempted, remember Paul's word to Timothy, tempted to prioritize other things, other voices, and so, another humble self-examination question, all under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What keeps us from giving our time and attention to God's Word? Yes, there are real barriers. Some people are dyslexic. Some people aren't big readers. There are ways around that. I am quite confident that if you really wanted to know God's Word, 
Mark, Scott, and the elders would be very, very pleased to help you sort out where to go with that. I have never met a pastor who would not be delighted to hear these words, I really want to know God's word more. Can you help me with that? What keeps you from giving your time and energy to God's word? One of the most important ways that we can guard our hearts according to his word is to make it a priority, to submit to it. And it is about submittance. It is about bowing before the Lord. If you would want to know God and know his way that leads to life everlasting, you must let it dictate to you how to interpret reality rather than the other way around. To do that, we must submit to his word with our time, with our energy, with our attention. Through prayer, let me not wander from your commands. With our hearts and our minds, I have stored up your word in my heart. With my whole heart, I seek you, Lord. Prioritize and submit by worshiping God in word and deed. The psalmist in verse 56 here in 119, he says, This blessing has fallen upon me, that I have kept your commands. James exhorts us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Brothers and sisters, we live in a battle and God has made his way known to us in his word. In Christ Jesus, he offers us forgiveness and life and eternal and secure salvation by his glorious grace. We will be tempted to ignore that word and other good words that would guide us to freedom, peace, rest, joy, and life abundant. We will be tempted to listen to what we want to listen to and tune other parts out. How can you keep your way pure? By guarding it according to his word. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach us your statutes. Let's pray. Lord, I've said a lot. What my brothers and sisters here don't need is my wisdom. They need yours. We thank you for your word. You know what's going on in our hearts and minds. Lord, we ask that you would captivate us with your word, your word of grace in Christ. You've said a lot. Help us listen. Do that good work in us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We sang those wonderful words, take my life, take it all. We confess that you ask a lot and that that's hard and that we struggle with that. And so, Lord, have mercy on us. Show us who you are. Show us your great love for us in Christ. Show us your way that is everlasting. And then we beg of you, Lord, 
Give us faith to bow our knee before you and your word. Have mercy on us in these ways, we pray. Amen.